Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome again to another episode of A Million Other Choices. As always, I am your host, Kim. Today's case holds a special place in my heart. It is a local case from 2018 of a 22-year-old woman killed by her intimate partner. And there are so many parallels to Taylor's case. It's scary to see that it has happened yet again to another young woman. In the same year and only four months before Taylor was killed. There is a little bit of guilt that I heard this case when it happened and yet didn't connect the true potential for it to happen in my own family at the time. So I'm going to try and keep it together this episode. This is the murder of Nadia Eldib of Calgary. Nadia was born on July 6, 1995 in Montreal. And I'm just going to read this from her obituary because I think it's really well written and tells you a lot about who Nadia was. Quote, her bubbly personality and great sense of humor has impacted all those that she met and is reflected by the memories she has created with those that she has crossed paths with. Her legacy will live on as a strong, confident woman who has only brought the best out of anyone she met. Nadia can only be remembered as a light shining so bright that was put out too early. But those she met will continue to admit that light because of how she brought it out in those who needed a little brightness. Her friends and family will continue to voice her story to be able to keep her in our lives. Her death has impacted many as she was an aspiring lawyer who had high hopes and dreams, but unfortunately she did not have the chance to realize them. Her kind heart and beautiful soul has touched many, and we know through stories and those who knew her that she was there to lend a helping hand to anyone in need and loved anyone who had entered her life. We will truly miss you, Nadia, our stitch. Nadia will be remembered by her parents, Sammy and Yumana, as well as her sisters, Sally, Racha, and Jana. We're going to be hearing more from her sister Racha on this episode. She has been a huge advocate for victims of domestic violence and a very outspoken, intelligent and articulate young woman who has become very passionate about her cause. So a big shout out and high five to Racha. 
I did reach out to her, but I haven't heard back, so I'm going to leave her to her privacy. I really don't blame her if she's kind of sick of reliving her sister's story. But I have a feeling she'll be okay with my telling of her story, because the details of the case were actually released to the media at the family's request to spread the word. And also because I'm going to be very respectful of Nadia, because I totally get it. And the audio clips I have today of Racha speaking are from an interview with the Calgary Herald and the police press conference that she attended and spoke at in 2018. And actually, here is Racha from that Calgary Herald interview, just telling us a little bit more about Nadia and what she was like and what they have lost as a family. Uh, Nadia really, really liked to buy clothes, but for some reason always end up wearing ours. Uh, so the articles of clothing that end up going missing for months and then end up somehow in her closet, uh, that's pretty much describes our sister and her constantly singing and she knows it bugs me, but she does it anyway and she films it as well. Uh, so she made us laugh. She was a very funny person. She really was. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going to miss just like her happiness. She was kind of the rock of our family and she brought us all together where, whether she was down herself, she just had a way of bringing us as a family and even as friends together. Um, so in a weird way, she brought us even closer through this and we're, like our family's stronger than ever. So we're just going to miss, there's going to be a gap forever. We're going to miss the humor in the house and the happiness. As we are going to hear a bit later, Nadia was a fighter an absolute badass. In 2017, Nadia was living at home with her parents and three sisters and studying to be a legal assistant at SAIT. Sometime in 2017, she started a short-term relationship with a 21-year-old. Now, his name, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his full name, but everybody called him Adam Bedahar. And the relationship only lasted about three months, and she probably saw some warning signs. Um, he was obviously super possessive, and what badass woman needs that in her life? But once she broke off the relationship, Adam's stalking of her lasted for longer than the relationship had. We don't really know a lot about Adam other than him being a complete douche canoe. Uh, he lived in Calgary for a number of years, six feet tall, kind of pinhead looking, there's lots of selfies of him released using all kinds of Snapchat filters with him trying to either look sexy or tough and never really managing to pull off either. We also know that he had a membership to the Calgary Gun Club. I mean, he was the typical egomaniac narcissist type. He just didn't really seem like Nadia's type. I mean, she was all class, super smart and stunning and curvy in all the right places. And I just don't really see the attraction. But at 22, she was likely playing the field and still just trying to figure out what she wanted and needed in a partner. And she figured out pretty quickly that Adam wasn't it. But what Nadia didn't know was that this Adam guy was very dangerous and had no plans to take her rejection of him in any way, shape, or form. Now, I'm going to talk about this a bit later because I found this great McLean's article about domestic violence here in Canada. But right now, I just want to read you this part because it would be really interesting to talk to Taylor and Nadia about if these warning signs in particular were there. So there's the obvious warning signs, which are a history of domestic violence and um, maybe a recent or uh, separation coming up. Uh, threats of suicide, depression, unemployment, obsessive behavior, stalking, uh, the presence of the gun in a home, or the presence of an actual or perceived new partner. 
But a major red flag, and I actually didn't know this, is strangulation in which an abuser literally has the victim's life in his hands. Quote, someone strangled to unconsciousness but left alive is seven times more likely to be killed than if never strangled. Typically, there's a long history of violence already before an alleged offender is identified by police or put in jail. And it's not unusual for that record to be hidden not just from authorities, but also from family members, friends, and co-workers. Again, it's a question of what is private and public. In 2018, Saskatchewan was the first and to date the only province to introduce legislation that allows police to warn someone of a new partner's violent or abusive past. Imagine if we had that information, how different all of our dating lives would probably be. Nadia Taylor and Jasmine Lovett are just three women in Calgary that I have profiled so far that were killed by an intimate partner in 2018 alone. And their murders happened just between the time frame of March 25th to July 26th. So four months, three young 20-something women in one city. Sorry for the side rant, but I'm very passionate about finding ways to prevent this type of tragedy. Just before 4 a.m. on March 25, 2018, Nadia made the fatal mistake of getting into Adam's car outside of a shisha bar downtown. This is another example of what we need to teach young people about ending relationships. When you end a relationship, end all contact. Do not engage in any way, shape, or form. But Nadia seems very much like a Taylor or Jasmine, very caring and kind and not wanting to see people in pain. So she likely figured, I'll just get in and talk to him, tell him my feelings, and he'll go away. Or she might have been put in the car against her will. But there were no actual witnesses to the event, um, or at least police aren't releasing those details. They just said that she got into the car with him. Actually, all they say is, is that they left the shisha bar together. So he either stalked her there and was pestering her until she decided to get a ride with him home um, to talk about why she didn't want to be with him, or they were part of the same circ- the same friend circle and she had an even harder time trying to not have any contact with him, or they remained friendly after the breakup and she was just simply thinking she was getting a ride back to where she parked her car. Now sometime during this ride, which Nadia had assumed was a ride to her car, which couldn't have been very far away from the bar, they started to argue, or he was begging and wanting to talk and she just didn't want any of it. She texted a friend that she was annoyed because he wasn't dropping her off at her car. So likely at this point, she was trying to get through to him that she just wanted to go home and it was over between them and he just kept pestering her about it. It doesn't sound like this text was at least at this point, a plea for help or that Nadia had any hints about what was about to happen. At 4.15 a.m., Adam parked the car behind a home in the 1000 block of Maitland Drive in the city's northeast, which I believe based on some reports that I read that this was Adam's house, but I'm not able to confirm that. Staff Sergeant Colin Chisholm just said that Adam was associated with that residence. The Star Calgary reports that they had actually left the bar a bit earlier at closer to 3 a.m. and were already sitting outside this house at 4 a.m. when she texted her friend. 
but I'm going to go by the Calgary Homicide Newsroom release. Um, So we're just going to say that everything went down fairly quickly at 4.15 a.m. Adam suddenly stabbed Nadia 40 times in rapid succession and then slit her throat. Now somehow, badass fighter that Nadia was, she managed to exit the car and tried to run away. Only Adam then shot her two times as she had fallen to the ground after the first shot. So here's another thing that I think we should talk about. The police were called about the discovery of Nadia's body, which was found near the backyard of this house. Um, That was probably Adam's at about 9.30 in the morning, so like five hours after she was killed. But witnesses all over the neighborhood report hearing two gunshots at 4.15 a.m. that woke them up. But no one called until she was found. Can we please just start calling 911 when we hear something scary that wakes us up? I know in this case that responders probably couldn't have saved Nadia, but I don't know. I'm sure her family would have appreciated her being taken off the road right away rather than her laying there for some neighborhood dog to come up on. And I get that I don't want to encourage you to go running out into the street when you hear sounds of violence. I mean, you obviously could get hurt yourself. But make a phone call. Even if it turns out to be nothing or just a car backfiring, at least you did what you thought was right. Sergeant Paul Woolsey of the domestic unit here in Calgary says about the number of calls that they get each year, quote, 18,000 a year. If you do the math on a daily basis, those numbers are what I would call significant and alarming. A good, good portion of those come from neighbors calling. Someone is out walking a dog and they hear glass breaking, an argument going on through a kitchen window, and they call police. We need to get everybody engaged. This is a community problem. This isn't just one household on a street. This actually is a community problem, and we need to be engaged as a community to help address it, end quote. So it didn't take Sherlock Holmes to figure out that Adam was the prime suspect, even though neither he or Nadia had any prior police involvement in their lives. A quick check of who she was seen with and police discovered that on March 10th, Adam had legally purchased a semi-automatic rifle. So a hunt for him was quickly underway. They were also able to find surveillance footage that captured two gunshot flashes in quick succession from an area just outside the camera's range. um, So you could just see the flashes of light. And of course, the state of Nadia's body and some evidence at the scene lined up with that timeline. Due to the earlier purchase of the rifle, he was charged with first degree murder because it was what police called planned and deliberate. A Canada-wide warrant for his arrest was issued. The details provided to RCMP was that he was likely in possession of a CSA VZ-58 semi-automatic rifle, and driving a dark blue 2004 Ford Explorer. On March 29, 2018, the Alberta Serious Incident Response Team, known as ACERT, got information that Adam was somewhere in the area of Alberta known, near a hamlet known as Evansburg. They also had information that Adam himself had made statements that he had no intention of going down without a fight. At about 5.15 p.m., an officer in the Evansburg area on his way home from his shift spotted the explorer and attempted to pull him over heading north on Highway 22. Only he didn't stop. 
leading 11 officers in total on a 70-minute, 140-kilometer high-speed chase. RCMP placed vehicles at the intersections ahead of the chase to try and prevent any innocent bystanders from being in the wrong place at the wrong time, and somehow Adam managed to evade four spike belts before finally hitting a fifth on Highway 16, which damaged the tires enough to stop the vehicle in its tracks, or on its tires in this case or on its tires, as the case was. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This was just east of Range Road 83 and heading in the east direction now. Adam then made a 45 degree turn before coming to a stop. So now his passenger side door is facing the officers, which a spokesperson for ACERT says was, quote, the placement of the vehicle provided a tactical advantageous position, providing cover and protection while the man fired upon police. Now, the other officers stopped their vehicles about 60 feet away in like a staggered position. Adam then got out of the driver's side door and immediately dropped to one knee, taking a firing position with his rifle and shot at the vehicle closest to him, shooting one officer in the head, who luckily, although bleeding profusely, was kind of grazed and not horribly injured. Um, but he did have to undergo some surgery. Um, they had some shrapnel that was embedded and he had a concussion, but thankfully he survived. A flurry of bullets ensued from both directions. At one point, Adam reloaded while crouched behind his SUV. Bullets flew for a total of 1 minute and 12 seconds before one of the officers called a halt to the firing to assess if they had what they called disabled the suspect. Adam had fired 10 shots. There was a single round left in the rifle when it was recovered from the scene. RCMP and police fired a total of 202 rounds. Adam Bedahar died of multiple gunshot wounds. Uh, one of them actually severed his spine and lacerated his carotid artery. After a lengthy review, which included interview from all the officers, civilian witnesses, and video from the RCMP vehicles, ACERT issued a statement saying, quote, the relatively minor nature of the officer's injuries was a reflection of good fortune rather than a lack of intent on the part of the man. There can be no doubt that he had been firing on police with the intent to kill or seriously injure as many officers as possible. There is no question that all involved officers were acting in the lawful execution of their duties and that the man presented a high risk to public safety. Having reviewed the investigation in its entirety, there is no reasonable grounds nor reasonable suspicion 
to believe that any of the involved officers committed any offenses. As such, the officers will not be charged with any offenses arising out of this incident. On Sunday, March 25th, 2018, a life was taken away too soon. My best friend and sister, at the hands of a disturbed young man who believed he had the right to murder her because she chose to exercise her right of taking ownership of her life, body, and soul by saying no to a man who was persistent on being with her. My sister, Nadia, made it clear that she would not give herself to him in any way. We know that because she fought until her last breath to get away from Abdurrahman Adam Batahar. This is a case of domestic violence, and the sole reason for my presence here today is to speak for Nadia so that she doesn't become another nameless statistic. She was a strong young woman who fought and refused a man, and that decision alone resulted in her death. I am here to use Nadia's voice to give strength to those who have been in similar situations, to those who are in mentally, physically, or emotionally abusive situations, so that they can find the strength to reach out. Even if it's not to someone you know, reach out to anybody to find that courage and seek help. My sister's story has hit close to home for a lot of people. The pain and loss has been felt by everyone, and this has deeply hurt people because of the thought that this could have been any girl. This could have been anybody's sister, friend, mother, daughter. But unfortunately this time, it was my sister, Nadia. Since Nadia's murder, her family and her sister in particular have been fighting like mad against domestic violence issues in our society. Racha Eldib told CBC in March 2020, quote, I definitely believe that maybe her spirit or just her energy kind of just transferred weirdly into me to be like, I need to fight for this. And we have started Nadia's Hope Foundation, which spreads the word about intimate partner violence. Uh, Racha has spoken at dozens of Alberta schools and stresses that the warning signs to look for saying, quote, I remember being 22 years old. You don't know that information. You don't have the resources. That's why I think it's important to address this in the youth age that later on in life you'll remember. In that same CBC article, Angelique Jenny, the Woods Home Research Chair, said, quote, We could be doing a better job of preventing that kind of violence by promoting different kinds of services for boys and young men in school and in adulthood. And Racha, who is my absolute hero, is looking to tell Nadia's story in Calgary Public Schools. Can you imagine if we started teaching this stuff and talking about it in schools? Not to frighten kids, but to make them aware. I honestly think that if 12 and 13 year olds know the warning signs, it could prevent so many of these tragedies. I wish Racha all the best in that pursuit. There is also a scholarship through Gems for Gems in Nadia's honor. And that was the horrific and awful murder of Nadia Aldib. And I just want to talk about this amazing research article that McLean's did in September of 2019. It was written by Anne Kingston and cited research from a book called No Visible Bruises, What We Don't Know About Domestic Violence Can Kill Us by Rachel Louise Snyder and See What You Made Me Do, Power and Control in Domestic Abuse by Jess Hill. In the book and the article, the women talk about this, dis the dismantling of the why doesn't she just leave myth and that we need to start asking instead, why does he abuse? Rachel Snyder said in her book that women don't stay. They constantly calculate how and if they can leave so that they and their children can escape harm. And I think that that's really an important distinction and one that we should probably incorporate into our psyches as friends and loved ones. 
to help them make that calculation possible. I'm going to paraphrase the major highlights that I found in this article, which you can find the full article at mclean's.ca slash news slash Canada slash we dash are dash the dash dead. It's impossible to calculate the number of women and girls that experience violence at the hands of either an intimate partner, spouse, or relative. The majority, more than 80%, according to one StatsCan uh, estimate, go unreported. Most of the 1,300 new callers at the Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter every year never contact hospitals, doctors, or police. And there's also been a very alarming rise in the severity of the violence, uh, including a lot more accounts of strangulation. The Alberta Council of Women's Shelters reports a rise in the number of women it, it assesses as facing extreme danger from 54% in 2011 to 64.8% in 2017. And Alberta shelters received more than 58,000 crisis calls in 2018, which is up 10% over 2017. And demand at our 550 shelters that we have here in Canada um, totally exceeds the number of beds. In 2018, the average turnaway rate was 78%. Children who are not physically harmed growing up in an abusive home cannot escape the trauma and is known to register later in life in the forms of chronic illnesses, higher suicide rates, uh, and of course the likelihood of being either victims or perpetrators of intimate partner violence. Anyone an abused person cares about is a potential target. Men who abuse their partners pose another societal threat actually. It's the same as what mass shooters share Uh, far more than religion or ideology, is a history of domestic abuse. Increasingly, intimate partner violence is being linked to terrorism. In 2017, Shane Patterson, who was the acting police commissioner in Victoria, Australia, announced that the force there would address domestic violence with the same urgency as terrorism in resources allocated and focus given their similar outcomes. Quote, we have death, serious trauma, serious injury, and people impacted for the rest of their lives. Can you imagine if we did that here? Like literally made domestic violence an act of terrorism and gave it the same resources we do for preventing 911 types of attacks. I never really thought of it that way, and now I can't think of it any other way. A 2016 review of a... 2013 murder-suicide of a separated couple with a history of domestic violence in Alberta found that the person with the clearest picture of severity of risk to the victim was actually a shelter worker, but she had no way or any kind of authority to, to help with needed service providers that could have diffused the situation and helped the woman and her children. Uh, quote, no change will come without including frontline workers in law reform projects. Uh, That quote was from Elizabeth Sheeney, who is the professor of law at University of Ottawa, who believes that shelter workers are the real experts. Cultural attitudes towards love and relationships also figure into how we see or don't see intimate partner violence. Red flags are sometimes 
kind of part of that romantic fairy tale, you know, that that feeling of being swept off your feet because of course abusers often rush in that first stage of intimacy known as love bombing. Sexual jealousy and constant texting and that continual checking in on someone are seen, of course, as signs of love. And as you remember, Maria talked about love bombing in our episode on intimate partner violence, also talked about how those acts can be seen as loving and caring. And it's precisely that perceived connection of trust of a partner that makes coercive control such an insidious facet of intimate partner violence. Jess Hill, who wrote the See What You Made Me Do, says, quote, the perpetrator takes advantage of their partner's love and trust and uses that person's most intimate details, their deepest desires, shames, and secrets as a blueprint for their abuse. What evolves is a terrifying language. A sideways look, sarcastic tone, or stony silence understood only by the people involved. And Jan Reamer recalls a lawyer telling the story of a client who was a victim of domestic violence, who uh, sort of unexpectedly and suddenly just conceded to all the terms in the settlement hearing of her divorce um, that was attended by both her and her abuser. And the woman told the lawyer later that she completely folded after seeing her spouse twirl his wedding ring, which was something he always did before beating her. Cultural conditioning also shapes how victims react. They want the abuse to end, not the relationship. So many high-functioning women believe that they can fix the situation or in denial thinking, you know, that's not really him It's or maybe it's partially my fault. Many fear that no one's going to believe that this pillar of the community could be abusive. And in some cases, the women are being financially controlled or really have no place to go. Domestic abuse is different from other crimes like robbery or stranger assault because it's ongoing, never a one-time event, but people don't want to accept that. Quote, we want to believe that this is a normally good person who lost it one time. We don't see how insidious, it's deliberate, it's conscious. He knows exactly who to pick to get away with the abuse. It's not as if he's never been upset with his boss but if you punch your boss, there are huge repercussions, end quote. In 2015, England and Wales became the first countries to make it a crime to engage in coercive control with an intimate partner, which is now punishable up with up to 15 years in jail. And lastly, social stigma can change behavior. We saw this with changing attitudes towards drunk driving. Deidre Bainbridge, who's a nurse who chairs the Ontario Domestic Violence Death Review Committee, recalls an account of some friends of an abused woman actually moving in with her and her husband. Quote, it made him very, very uncomfortable. He left. Why should the woman always be the one to leave? End quote. Anyways, lots of stuff to sit on with that. I wish Racha Eldib so much luck in her work to end domestic violence. She is such a classy lady and a fighter and has used her family's loss to do good for others. And I think that that is really something to admire and appreciate. Losing Nadia wasn't just a loss for her family. I think that Nadia's potential and what she was going to do for our community is also a great loss for all of us and is just so unfair. Imagine a world if we could just take domestic violence out of the picture. 
we wouldn't just end these kinds of stories, but how many other crimes, suicides, substance abuse issues could we prevent if children didn't have to grow up in trauma? As always, I am so thankful for you listening to my rants that I get on about. I hope you will join me again next week for another rant. And I hope you all have an amazing week. big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Stay big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Save